You go to a movie, you're totally enthralled and engrossed in the movie, and you think the acting is great. But did you ever stop to think about the data, the analytics, the machine learning, the predictive analytics that go behind all of it to make it happen? And today, on episode number 276, that's what we're talking about. I'm Michael Krigsman. I'm an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. I want to say a quick thank you to Livestream, which provides our video streaming infrastructure. Those guys are great. They support CXO Talk. And if you go to livestream.com slash CXO Talk, in fact, they'll give you a discount on their plans. Now, before I say anything else, I need to ask you in the most heartfelt way to please tell a friend and like us on Facebook. And not only that, get them to like us on Facebook. And for extra points, subscribe on YouTube. Without further ado, I am so thrilled to introduce our guest today. Matt Meralda is the Chief Analytics Officer at Legendary Entertainment, which is the blockbuster movie house behind some of the movies that you know of. Matt, welcome to CXO Talk, and thank you for being here. Great. No, thank you. I appreciate it. So, uh, so Matt, tell us about uh, Legendary Entertainment. Sure, sure. Legendary, as you mentioned, is a producer of, of uh, both movies and television shows. Uh, the types of movies we produce are large scale, things like uh, Godzilla, Kong, Skull Island, uh, the Dark Knight series, uh, movies of that scale, which are intended to be large, what people often refer to as tentpole movies that are big global events uh, all around the world. Okay, so you're producing these major films, and your role is chief analytics officer. And I think for many of us, the notion of what a chief analytics officer in this world, in the in the Hollywood filmmaking world, is probably kind of alien. Yes, no, I, I can give you uh, uh, the genesis of it and where you know where we um, started from and, and what the objectives were. So initially. You know, thinking back to this must have been back in 2012 or 13 in that time frame, our founder and former CEO, uh, a guy named Thomas Tull, he came to the realization that there was an opportunity in um, in our space in movie marketing and movie production in general. Uh, and that opportunity was to apply data analytics in a way that was um, different and unique than what other people were doing at that time. And it fell into two major categories. One category was um, very early in the sense that, um, you know, as we're considering what films to produce, how to cast them, the release dates, things of that nature, there's an opportunity for data and analytics to uh, step in and provide an input. So to not take over the process, but to be a, an important kind of um, consideration along the way. Similarly, and on the other side, uh, we also thought there was a real opportunity for us to be able to uh, add efficiency to the marketing uh, of the films. So the movies I described, I think you know, folks might have a sense as to what they might cost, but you know, these are 100 to $200 million production budgets, which is usually a pretty publicly known thing. Also somewhat publicly known, but maybe less well-known, is how much we spend on media, which can be anywhere from 80 or $90 million to $120, $150 million worldwide. So these are large bets. These are these are big bets, and we wanted to make sure that you know before we entered in those bets, we were as informed as possible. And then as we um, you know uh, took those movies to the world, literally, we wanted to be as efficient in the marketing as we could be. So your background was in sports, essentially yeah. Moneyball, and the idea was to apply those techniques to Hollywood filmmaking. Yes, um, and. Uh, 
in hindsight, it, it's funny because we, we didn't really know what we were going to do. <laughs> what we knew at high level was we, need, we knew we needed to use data and analytics to inform uh, the process. And the bridges are similar, right, in certain senses. Um, uh, the first thing I said to our chief creative officer when I joined uh, Legendary was, and again, these are two roles that could effectively be uh, oil and water, right? Uh, creative and analytics. Those could be things that are, uh, you know, sort of um, uh, an op opposing forces, basically. And what I said to him is um, the attitude that we've had from the beginning from the creative side, which was that analytics, especially in sports, but the same with content, never produced a player. Uh, but all I tried to do is put the player in the best position to succeed. And that was the attitude from the beginning. On the marketing side, it was a little bit different. The marketing side was how could we use data and analytics to gain a competitive advantage? And on that front, what we realized very quickly was that there was a real opportunity in how we addressed our audiences, meaning the traditional approach, and this is still uh, often uh, the dominant approach for these kinds of movies, is what we always call the spray and pray, meaning quite literally spray the population with TV ads and pray they go to the box office. And that works in a certain world, and maybe not even you know the world of today, but at some point it, it worked. What we realized back four or five years ago was that we need to be much more precise. And you know it's a game of impressions, meaning impressions, meaning how, how do we deliver the trailer or the uh, TV spot or the poster to the right people? Um, and which of those things do we deliver and in what format? And doing that in a very precise and individual way. And so what we've built are tools that enable us to, at individual levels, predict people's propensity, as we call it, their likelihood to take the action we want, which may be a trailer view, it may be a buying of a ticket. And that meant we had to use some very sophisticated um, tools and techniques that we had to build ourselves. And so we built up a suite of assets and capabilities that are all rooted back in AI. And this was all when AI was not cool. <laughs> this, is, this is a time at which you know, AI was, AI was you know, uh, Skynet or something. Um, you know, it wasn't embedded really uh, as broadly as it maybe is becoming now. But the reason why we knew we needed to go down that path and to use machine learning, neural networks, computer vision, all of that, was the scale which we needed to operate was so massive that without those kinds of tools, you're almost back to that spray and pray mode where you are um, quite literally taking broad guesses at large groups of people. So let's uh, let's decode. This is really interesting. Let's let's start to decompose this. Uh, so you've got your data sources. So your goal, your goal then is to have these very micro, 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 micro targeted, yes. can we say ad campaigns, marketing campaigns? Sure. Yep. Okay. So you're, so you're targeting these, these micro campaigns and you need the, the data. So you have sources of data. You have these yep. tools and techniques that you've developed, and then you must somehow, there's some link where you're now applying that to your ad platforms, Facebook, YouTube, wherever, wherever it is that you're going. Yeah, so you've got the right uh, uh, ballpark. Uh, I'll go and get more specific. So you know, the first step in that process for us is to really try to un understand um, people, right? And the best way for us to understand people is with data. Now, what's unique and was, uh, I tell a story often, and it's true, uh, and it's not meant to be anything other than just factual. The first, more or less the first day I walked into Legendary, um, my first question was, um, where's all the data? Again, coming from a world that wasn't you know, connected to Hollywood, I didn't really understand how the dynamics worked, which was we produce a movie, we deliver it to a distributor, who then hands it to exhibitors. And then the exhibitors, or you know, ultimately maybe like an Apple or an Amazon or whomever, all the transactions, all the customer interactions happen uh, at that level which are too removed from us. 
So when the answer came back to me, oh, he, you know, uh, what data do you need? I said, well, anything on people. They came back with a, uh, an Excel spreadsheet of about 50,000 email addresses. And I realized at that point that there was a different challenge we had to face, which was how do we actually get data on people? I'll put that to the side for a second, but just, you know, the principle though that we were taking wasn't data necessarily, it was analytics. Like our bet was not necessarily on getting the best and most sort of precise data on people. It was uh, how do we build the analytic tools to take whatever data is available to us and use that to do our targeting. And that is a recognition of a lot of factors that I think are, you know, were true then, but even more true now. Um, privacy issues, uh, social platforms and how they share data and what, what, um, what levels of granularity they'll provide you, regulatory issues, all, all sorts of things uh, mean that data will shift, right? What's available to you one day might not be available to you the next, or new things will pop up that weren't there before. And so we knew we had to have data. That was table stakes. And so we invested a lot of money um, into data, millions of dollars into data to acquire data on people, on content, unstructured data from social networks, uh, everywhere we could find it. But that wasn't so much the bet. That was the table stakes. The real bet for us came at the, at the next level, which was what can we build on top of those tools? I'm sorry, on top of that data. And with that, what we um, you know, uh, drove towards was these AI solutions, meaning could we take um, you know, billion or more email addresses and attach hundreds, if not a thousand or more attributes to those email addresses that we created either from you know, source them from some kind of partnership to constructing them from unstructured data, meaning of text and image and things of that nature, uh, and produce a very robust picture of people. But then once we have that robust picture, we need to do something with it. It's, an, it's inert if, it, if, we don't, if we don't act upon it. And so the next action to take is to use that, that, uh, that effectively that big table of data on people, which is not what it literally is, but that's a good visual of it, and um, create audiences from it and to make individual predictions. And so the first step in our process is to use our models, and there's many different inputs into them, but to use them to uh, hone in on who we think the most likely audience is. And we will, it's not binary, it's, um, in fact, we have three major categories, and then we kind of drill in on specifics. The three major categories for us are people who we consider to be given, meaning they're going to watch the movie no matter what. Uh, they're wearing the Godzilla t-shirt. They've watched the Kong movie from you know, 30 years ago or even 10 years ago, um, dozens of times, that kind of person. There's, there's a small number of them, but they're there. There's a much larger number of people who will never watch, who are never going to um, consume this content. That's fine. We don't want to spend impressions on them. Who we really care about are the people in the middle of those two groups. We call them the persuadables. So the people who we can persuade by giving them the right piece of content or the right creative at the right moment through the right channel is key. And those are trite things now. I think people talk about that a lot, but we try to be very precise about it. So we, the first step we'll do is take that persuadable audience and define them uh, out, uh, sort of exclusive of the givens and the nevers. Then within the persuadable audience, we'll, we'll effectively score every single person. And these are, you know, in the US, it could be for a movie of a, of a scale we typically would work on, it could be 40 or 50 million people. And they'll get a score from zero to 100. Literally, you know, 100 being very likely, zero being very unlikely. Once we have that, we, we, we would, and where we can, we deploy media to them specifically and individually. That would be, um, a lot of people use the term onboarding. We might onboard them into, uh, say, programmatic buying on uh, websites, right? Publishers that you'd see on you know, the sidebar or across the top. Uh, that includes social media, that includes search, that includes video like YouTube. Wherever we can find these people, we'll reach them. And so we'll launch these at the, at the, at the lowest granularity that that platform will accept, right? Sometimes it's small audiences, sometimes it's individuals, but whatever we can. Then once that's launched, the, the next thing we'll do is take very small pieces of those, of those audiences and these very, very, so not only cutting small micro segments, but then we're taking even smaller sub segments of them to test. We call it calibration. 
So we'll launch, you know, many, many combinations, hundreds or maybe thousands of combinations of um, sub-segments and creative. And that will give us an indication as to which of those segments will respond better to which pieces of creative. Once we've done that, then we start scaling, right? Then we start actually applying more uh, spend and that will lead us to um, a, a, a more global kind of scale. At that level, um, once we've done that, where we can, and China happens to be the, the territory where we can do this the best, um, you know, we will actually try to measure conversion, meaning we will actually try to see who's buying tickets. And those ticket purchases will then feed into our models and enable us to be more honed. And what's interesting about our approach is we, we tend to do things that are, a lot of them are the opposite of what others do. So a lot of folks will start kind of narrow and then maybe even get panicked and go broad. We do the opposite. The closer we get to release, the more honed we're trying to get and the more precise we're trying to get. We're trying to get to as close to the actual number of people we're going to buy tickets as possible. So the platforms, this is this is really fascinating. So the platforms that you're using then are are what? Can you be specific about that? Yeah, it would be um, uh, in no particular order. Social media, right? So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snap, all those uh, platforms. Uh, it would include uh, the Google platforms, which would be you know, search or YouTube. We'll also do things programmatically. Uh, so we'll be able to um, target people across many different uh, websites. So those are the, those are the major uh, categories. Um, we do try to do um, analytics to help us guide what we would consider to be non-addressable media, like uh, television buys and outdoor ads. Um, but it's using the same concept of audience. We're just now deploying it in a more uh, coarse way. And you are, you mentioned earlier that you're going down to the lowest level of granularity that these right. platforms will accept, essentially. Yes, that's correct. So uh, in certain cases, we can provide individuals and track them. That's rare, but we can do that. In other cases, it's these sort of sub-segments of maybe hundreds of people or a thousand or two thousand, something like that. In other cases, it's, you know, like, for example, a television buy, it's you're buying against the, 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 the people who watch that show. And we're making a prediction as to who we think are going to actually watch the show. Um, but we can't actually precisely say, oh, these are the you know, 700,000 people we want to get through this show. We are taking a bet that they'll be watching, but we don't know precisely that they are. We have a question from Twitter, an interesting one, uh, from Gus Beckdash. And he's asking, do you apply this on a real-time basis or just to get trends? Or how, do, how does that aspect work? It's a great question. So the pace of, of, of these kinds of campaigns is very fast. What will happen is for any given movie, the vast majority, when I say vast, 80, 90% will be spent over the course of about four or five weeks. And this is what I think people who are just kind of awake and alive will see these massive um, sort of uh, media dumps out into the world. So we knew that was the phenomenon, and we knew that we had to be able to react very quickly within those timescales. If this were an always-on campaign that ran over the course of years, it would be much different. So we do try to operate very precisely within that sort of very short window of four to six weeks. I would say our cadence for changes and um, adjustments are typically within a, a day or so. So it's not real time in the sense of every minute or every hour, but once a day we're recalibrating and adjusting. So you have the so you have a set of uh, tools and techniques that let you take the data that's coming back. Well, so you're selecting so you're selecting the the data to work on to analyze and build models, and then you're running your campaigns, and then you're taking the data back from those campaigns, and and doing what with it to optimize? Sure, you've got, I'll just clarify the loop, but the loop you described is very accurate. So we have a source set of data that we begin with that creates audiences. Those audiences we then launch through our, and we had to build our own technology platform. It was really crazy. The scale of the data we were, we were storing wasn't 
uh, sort of serviceable by most uh, sort of data storage solutions. So we actually built our own data storage solution. Going back to the beginning, um, you know, I was a guy in a room. <laughs> you know, I had I had a um, a checkbook effectively. You know, could, we could have done a number of things. We could have built a mosaic of solutions. What we found was that there wasn't there, that didn't exist. And so we built out a team. So our team is about seventy people. Um, of the 70, we've got a, a more than half, about a half are some form of an engineer, whether they're data scientists or computer um, scientists. And we have uh, people who have all kinds of disciplines. And so we accumulated these people and we built these tools because they didn't exist. We couldn't find that solution. And it's really that singular solution that goes from front to back. There are a lot of good point solutions along the way, but they didn't have the full integration. And so the, 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 the loop you described is a very logical loop. And that's exactly what we were trying to build toward. But it, we had a hard time finding the solution that would uh, meet both the speed and the um, uh, the pace at which we were spending, along with the sophistication with which we wanted to spend, and so to go back to your loop, this uh, this this data platform that we've created will suck in data from whatever sources we've uh, we've started with the initializing sort of data, then they will it will launch the media out into the different platforms, and to your point, um, as the as the campaigns run, new data is being created constantly that comes back into the system enables us to calibrate. And change, you know, dynamically, and then re re uh, spent, right? So it's a sort of a virtuous cycle that continues. Yeah, I think I know the answer to this question. But here you are, you're you're basically giving away your process, and you seem willing to go to whatever level of detail I might ask or the audience asks. And so, why aren't you uncomfortable sharing your your secrets and your process with the world? Sure. Uh, I hope this doesn't come across as arrogant, but it's a hard thing to do. I was going to say, probably because uh, how would you replicate it if you're... Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, there's a certain alchemy we had to create even to be able to um, pursue these goals. Um, and that alchemy included people, includes data, includes technology. It's a lot of things. And um, no, the process and the approach, uh, I think a lot of things, hopefully that I'm saying are sort of borderline intuitive. I mean, certainly, you know, uh, we're transparent about a lot of this. The real secret sauce is what's happening the next level or two down, right? The actual tools we have and the actual techniques we're using and the the specific data types we have and the um, and the ways in which we connect to these different places. Some of which are, are ones that people could reverse reverse engineer and kind of anticipate. Others may be more more subtle. Um, so that's the level where it gets a little more, I think, proprietary. But at this this level, it's you know again, it's just a hard problem to solve. And we also, frankly, are uh, these sort of data nerds, right? And so we. We like to share to learn what other people are doing. And there may be ways in which we can learn from others by being uh, open about what we, do, what we do. God, my mind is, my mind is kind of reeling with, with, what, you're, with what you're doing. Uh, so the targeting then, you, so you must have developed uh, real areas of expertise in each one of these platforms. I mean, you must know as much about these platforms as the developers do, essentially, I would imagine at this stage. I think a good way to think about it, and I appreciate the compliment, um, but a good way to think about it is we have a very specific set of goals and objectives, and they're very practically oriented, right? We need to have people buy tickets to movies or watch our TV shows, wherever it is. And we are willing to uh, invest the time and resources to best understand these platforms for that purpose, right? So I think for those purposes, for the kinds of things that we want to do. And they, they're broader than just movies and TV shows. It's when you want to build brand awareness, when you want to buy consumer, build a consumer intent. Those objectives are ones that I think are shared by a lot of industries. Um, and, you know, the platforms are trying to solve many, many more problems than just those spe specific things. So, I, yeah, I do think we've spent as much time as anybody on trying to figure out how to take full advantage of those platforms for that particular set of uh, activities. 
Understood. So I want to remind everybody we're speaking with Matt Marolda, who is the Chief Analytics Officer at Legendary Entertainment. And right now there's a tweet chat going on using the hashtag CXOTalk, and you can ask your questions directly at Matt. Uh, Matt, do you, as you said, this is the, the, the general approach is one that's being applied by many different companies in many different industries. Do you ever have companies like, like say, retailers coming to you wanting to license your technology because these techniques would work for anything? Yeah, it's interesting. When we started, uh, and this is not false modesty by any means at all, um, when we started back in 2012 and 13, I wasn't sure any of this was going to work, right? We had no idea. It was a gamble. Um, it started to work and pay off quickly, right? We were fortunate um, that, that, it, that it, it, it got us our own kind of ROI very quickly. And for about a year or two in, into that process, you know, we were, we were relatively quiet about it. We didn't, we didn't want to pat ourselves on our, on our back or take uh, undue credit because there's a lot of factors in any of these successes or, or even failures, frankly, that might happen in, with a movie or TV show. Um, but that being said, uh, folks did begin to notice, right? There were people who, especially in our own industry initially, saw things that they were surprised by and they saw patterns that you could observe but weren't quite sure what was causing the pattern. Like, for example... Um, people use uh, what they call tracking in Hollywood, which is kind of like polling. It's sort of a national poll that assesses people's interest in a movie. And tracking has been used for decades to predict box office outcomes. And our movies consistently outdid tracking, uh, meaning the old ways of predicting a box office outcome were being broken very consistently by what we were doing. And so that drew attention. And so for a while we said, no, we won't share this with anybody. This is a competitive advantage. But then what we realized was maybe not so much for the creative side, which is something we've held closer. But when it comes to the marketing, this is an asset in, a, in an engine that we've created that could be deployed for others. And so over the last uh, 18 months or so, uh, we've been sort of um, slowly, but uh, with some aggression, uh, taking on what we call our partners, people who do use our tools and license them for their own campaigns, whether it's for other movies or TV shows. Um, we've done things in, in CPG, uh, hospitality as well. Uh, you mentioned uh, the uh, tracking, and I know that one of the things that you've done is used biometrics to see how oh, people yeah. respond to movies. Maybe you can yeah. tell us about that. Sure. Um, the phases... I think of, at least for a movie, very broadly, there's the sort of, for lack of a better name, a green lighting phase, meaning the point at which you decide whether to make a movie or not. Then there's a production phase, uh, then a post-production phase, which means the editing and the other refinements you do the movie after it's been filmed. And of course, for again, this is from our point of view and how we look at it, uh, then the marketing of it. In that post-production phase, which you're, I think what you're describing or, or asking about is um, the tools we've used to try to hone a movie. Right. It's the same thing I would say at the green lighting stage. And by the way, we were never involved in the production stage at all. All we're trying to do is provide inputs back to the filmmakers and the producers that they can then make judgments on right, and make uh, decisions based on them. The difference is our goal is to provide it at a, at a level of granularity that is um, really um, robust and unique uh, so that they can be as best informed as possible. And the biometrics is one path towards that. Right. So we've done things where we've taken movie theaters and we've put you know several hundred people, maybe three, four hundred people in a movie theater and put the wristbands on them. They're like a Fitbit right? that would track things like um, heart rate and others. Uh, we'll have an iPad on the back of a receipt to then capture a face to then grab facial uh, emotion and other recognition um, sort of indicators. And we'll tie that back to you know, a second by second view of the movie and allow us to at least give these broad 
um, and, but also very specific sometimes comments about what's happening. I would say we wouldn't discard other things too. Like, so we will also um, uh, use what people call uh, sort of uh, colloquially as the cards, meaning the little um, card you fill out afterwards, right? So we still use those. Um, so we try to blend traditional approaches with the uh, slightly more avant-garde ones because we think that there's value in all of them, especially when they're integrated. Uh, you mentioned uh, the relationship to the creative side. And so I'm really wondering how do we don't think of the artistic process as being informed by predictive analytics. And so what's where is there a tension there? How do you how do you work with the creative side? Well, it's, a, it's, it's certainly a collaboration, right? And again, it's, we, we are trying, on the creative side especially, we're trying to make sure we recognize kind of where we fit into the process, right? There's many, many things that the creative team is working on at any given moment on a movie, many. Uh, there's only a handful of them we can actually impact. But just like you'd want to understand um, what an actor might be like to work with, or you'd want to watch their previous work, um, you, know, the, you know, those kinds of things are, are readily available to a, uh, a producer, right? They can call and find out that. Why not also understand what kind of audience the property might generate on its own, or what kind of uh, box office potential it has in advance, or what kinds of talent might align well with that? And again, it's not to say to them prescriptively, here's what you have to do, and you're, you're dumb if you don't. It's more like helping to either hone options and get a little more specific, uh, or uncover ones that they might not have thought of. And again, they have to use judgment and perspective to be sort of uh, the, um, the final arbiter on how it all pulls together. But again, the tools we've tried to build are, are inputs in that process that can be very enlightening. And I think uh, one of the things that we, at least I've learned even from sports into here, um, but certainly here as well, is there's a, is, there's a, um, uh, a real premium on humility, right? So coming in with an open mind. And that open mind helps in a lot of ways. It helps look at problems in a different way and to understand that there are maybe solutions that exist, but also helps at how you present the solutions or the findings you might have uncovered. And that humility is important because we want to be able to be confident and clear about what the data analytics are telling us, but also humble in its presentation so we understand kind of the, the broader context that it's being used in. So how do you get folks who are on the creative side that in their entire life would never have thought of applying data and analytics and probably resist it, uh, how do you get them to have that open mind and be receptive? Sure. So the, the attitude overarching, of course, is that humility, but that confidence, like that sort of combination of the two. But the real practical steps have been um, uh, sort of an, uh, a learning curve, like quite literally. So starting with things like, here's a small, here's a small um, sort of sample of what's possible. And also, it's a, like a lot of things, it's, it's about listening and asking questions. So we're trying to understand what is it they're trying to solve or what, what's the riddle that they haven't been able to crack on their own and going back and then building a tool that can help them actually get there in a way they couldn't have done through intuition or, or other more traditional means. And so it's, it's that both the attitudinal thing, but also a sort of learning curve where it's doled out. And, and we've been fortunate to see that people become kind of voracious about it. Right, so they ask more questions and you get more in depth and it becomes a real conversation, which is exhilarating, I think, for everybody. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's led to um, stars being cast in TV shows. Even recently, there's a, there's a well-known actor right now who um, uh, is in a, uh, uh, um, as a guest spot, basically, on a, on a network television show because we use these analytics. And again, it was, you know, that's a great example where the producer came in with a list of, I think it was 30 or 40 actors. And they want to understand who had the best fit with the show who could bring new audience, but still have a consistency with the core of the show um, and be able to um, uh, provide a, a ratings boost. And so the analytics helped us hone the 30 or 40 that they were considering down to three or four. 
and of the three or four, then they were able to go and, and focus on the one they thought was the best and they were able to bring them in. So it's, it's a process that looks like that where it's, you know, collaborative and, and uh, communicative. And it, and it seems to work. And over time, then the creative side has become receptive because they've seen the, the benefit. I'm assuming that must be the case. Yes, there's two things, I think, um, and they're both human nature. Um, one is it's a great way to be able to have a justification, right? It's a great way to be able to say, hey, we did all these things and here's, you know, a hard evidence to support the decision. That's really helpful. I think also they have seen the efficacy. Um, being the type of data nerds that we are, we would love to be able to, to do the test, right? You'd love to do, to use a, a really basic uh, sort of, but uh, sort of typical nomenclature, you want to do the A-B test. Right? It would be great if you took actor A and actor B, created the same show and saw which one was better. That's obviously imp impossible. Um, so that level of, of, um, of efficacy is, uh, is hard to measure. But you know, the, the, sort of, um, uh, the confidence that the decision maker has to you know, make that final casting call is much greater with these tools behind them. What about the ethical issues? You alluded to that earlier of the the targeting mm -hmm. you've got so much data and how do you how do you balance uh, the the privacy because you don't want to be you you, you want to target very narrowly based on intense interests or or subtle interests but you don't want to be creepy and overstep your reach so how do you balance that uh, so there's lots of you've come, you, there's lots of different ways in which we have to think about that problem, right? So there's a there's a one you hit on, which is a regulatory one, right? And to be very clear and uh, without ambiguity, uh, we have bright yellow lines around all that, right? We don't take anything that's anywhere near a risk, right? That being said, uh, so that's an e that's an easy boundary to create, right? That's a simple thing, like you would just do that uh, by nature, and that includes things like um, we don't scrape data, right? All the data we we acquire is acquired legitimately. We have uh, an agreement, an open relationship, and often uh, a monetary relationship with the source of the data, right? So not only are we staying well within the bounds of the regulatory constraints, but we're also well within the bounds of the data itself. But then there's another level I think you kind of touched on too, which is how do you um, interact with the consumer in a way that doesn't feel creepy, right? And we certainly uh, are conscious of that. And you know, that's where the tools that, uh, and the platforms we tend to use uh, for these purposes, these, these addressable platforms we talked about earlier, social, search, video, display, those are ones where, you know, as far as the uh, consumer of the con you know, whatever they're watching on that platform or doing, and they're getting these ads served to them, it's hard to discern whether that, whether that ad is um, anything special for them, right? It's just, it's, it's one of others. Uh, and that feels like a very natural way. It doesn't feel creepy. If we were to suddenly start popping up in places and addressing you directly, and you didn't realize that we were there. Um, it's the kind of thing that I think would throw people off. But we're well short of that. We're we're operating in, within channels that um, the um, the advertisements are coming in a way that you'd expect. Uh, they just happen to be very precisely directed. That's really interesting. So, so if your data science is really working well and you're operating on the right set of data, from the user perspective, they're receiving advertisements that are natural and organic that seem organic and they just flow and therefore right. there's no creepiness factor because they actually this makes sense yeah and in a lot of ways i don't think people always think of it this way but that's the implicit barter we make with all those platforms right that's the implicit barter we make for having the ability to search the internet for free uh is that there'll be ads served to you and so we're just kind of working within that ecosystem and again it goes back to what i think i said a little earlier um the bet we made was always on the analytics themselves we recognized because of these shifting 
even sometimes um, broader political, um, like Europe is a great example where the, the regulatory issues there are very different than they are here and people's um, view of data and even that uh, implicit barter is different. So we knew that those things would change. We never knew, we couldn't predict and that'd be very, even for people who spend all their time thinking about these things, it's impossible to pr predict how those tides will ebb and flow. But what we could predict was that they would ebb and flow. And therefore we wanted to play at this other level above it uh, where the analytics are, and then we will just adapt to whatever we can do. And as things become more available, that's great. If they become constrained, we'll look for other alternatives and we'll kind of balance all those activities together. And at this point, uh, I'm assuming, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm assuming that that inside the inside Legendary, your team, uh, your work must be kind of diffuse in a, in, a, in a way throughout the whole organization, which is to say at every stage of the process, your team is involved in some type of integral way. Yeah, often it'll vary a little bit by project, uh, just depending on how things are going and where where the need is. Um, you know, some movies develop very quickly and nicely right through post production and don't need a lot of intervention. Others are a little more challenged. Um, we're always very involved in the marketing end, right? That's the that's the part that's consistent. On the other side, there are movies that come down the pike that we don't need to do a lot of analysis on. You know, it's like uh, we have a movie called Skyscraper. Of course, you want Dwayne Johnson to start a Die Hard type movie. <laughs> Doesn't require a lot of analytics. Um, but there are others that are much more carefully considered. Um, so it it it, um, it varies just a bit based on the spe uh, specific project, but yeah, no, we touched all those parts again. With the real exception, of course, truly being like script writing and production, that, that's an area we don't ever ever get involved in at all. But the other parts, in terms of the green lighting, some of the post production, and certainly the marketing, uh, we're very involved in. Why not script writing? I mean, you could you I'm sure you could give insights into to, to script writers that would be really valuable to them. So why not script? We still believe that there are, um, you know, very creative aspects to the, all of this, right? This is a human endeavor still. Um, and there are probably ways in which you could create artificial intelligence to, I'm sure people are, work, are doing this now, we haven't spent a lot of time on it, to construct things more specifically. But I think what we would, what we do do, I know, is that we do try to at least provide the same kinds of inputs I was describing earlier, uh, thematic kind of um, observations or uh, other signals we might pick up from prior movies that are similar in the audiences around those movies. Uh, and again, very broad brushstroke type things. And uh, I can think of a showrunner in particular, a very, very well-known showrunner that we, we have a show with, who is very receptive um, to those kinds of things, right? He's very open-minded about you know, the, um, the, the, the data signals that we would pick up that might help him shape the show, but we don't get into anything specific. I mean, we'll, I mean, we'll bat around a few big ideas, but then he, he then takes those and puts his creative brain toward it and then figures out you know, a way to solve it on his end. Um, so yeah, so it's a, it's a it's an interesting dynamic for sure. In a number of different areas, it seems like you have constructed uh, very careful boundaries, like you were describing uh, how you how you collect data, uh, re regulatory uh, issues, uh, the relationship to screenwriting, uh, things like that. It seems like you're very careful where you go deep, and at the same time, you're you're equally careful circumscribing where you you won't go. Yeah, that's true. We, we, we try to set, establish a set of rules. And I think it comes back a little bit to some of the questions you were asking earlier around uh, how do we get buy-in and adoption. And by self-declaring those boundaries and making it very clear the perspective we have and what we're trying to do, it makes the conversation much easier. As soon as it's human nature, as soon as there's any feeling of encroachment or someone trying to usurp someone else's role and responsibility, that that really gets uh, the dynamics uh, misaligned, right? And so the objective is to almost self-declare and say, hey, look, this is what we think we can do. Here's where we believe the impacts can be. And they're well short of anything that's a near encroachment, right? It's something that's, you know, additive, supportive, 
and and um, you know, uh, with uh, again that humility kind of wrapped around it. And then that 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 is a true thing. It's sincere, but it also has that byproduct of making people feel comfortable that we're not trying to go too far, or push things in the wrong direction. There are a a few questions. We only have about ten minutes left or less, and and there's a number of different big areas that I want to ask you about. So very quickly, can you describe the composition of your team? Who who do you need if you want to create this kind of magic? Yeah, well, you need the right people for sure. Um, and I've said humility. Like, I think I feel like four times it must be the, the word of the day for me. But um, that's a that's an initial starting point for us. We look for people like that. But of course, we have other things we're really interested in. And so the the specific skill sets we've accumulated. Um, on the data science side, it's multidisciplinary, right? We have the person who runs our um, uh, our data science team is a, a PhD in astrophysics, right? That's a discipline you wouldn't expect at a Hollywood studio, but just like that discipline, there are people who have um, uh, built up you know, um, uh, their academic backgrounds in social sciences, like human decision sciences, or there's statisticians or econometricians, right? That's a whole category of people we have. Those data science folks. On the software development side, we knew, as we talked about briefly earlier that we're going to have these very large data sets. And so we needed people who had the, the uh, skills to be able to you know, build these repositories to query and analyze data at remarkable speeds, um, to be able to even build the infrastructure and the thousands of servers we have running at any given time to support all that, um, to build user interfaces that make it all work, right? So those were sp- skill sets we were very specific and targeted around. We also, though, needed the other half of our team, basically, are people who are um, uh, expert at applying these kinds of outputs into a campaign. And that, that, that last group I just mentioned was by no means the last. In fact, we considered all three simultaneously because we knew that if the data science team and, the, and the, the development team built all the amazing tools they built, but they were just shiny toys on a shelf, it was all for naught. And so we needed to make sure we had a group of people who knew how to translate those tools into action. And that creates the whole uh, iterative loop we use to further develop. And you're so along the way, so here you are you are trying to build this team and you realize, for example, well, the storage systems that are out there are not gonna work. And so you now have to go out and hire a bunch of storage system designers. Right. Like that's, ins- that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm not the first to say that. It's actually probably a little insane, yes. Okay, I, I guess when you're, I guess when you're uh, keeping that practical need and really monitoring efficacy, does it work at every step? then you can explore these new territories and, and actually make it work and, and execute it. Yeah, and I think there's another thing too, which we were empowered from early on. A lot of people are punished, penalized, or even fired for taking risks uh, and, make, and, not, and not making the safe choice. We were the opposite. I think we would have been punished or penalized for taking the safe choice and not taking the risk. And so we had the attitude from the beginning uh, the failure was great. I mean, failure is fine. It's a learning opportunity. We just want to do it fast and cheaply. You know, <laughs> that's the idea. And so, um, yeah, we were willing to take a lot of um, and everything. Everything I've described was built from you know progressively, right? It wasn't like we necessarily set out one way or the other. It's that we built from you know from a seed need and then we grew from there. So you were laying layering. You build something. Right. You layer. Exactly. You experiment. You layer exactly. and and so exactly. forth. Uh, yeah. Okay, so. Uh, in the spirit of trying to accomplish large topics within the space of, of just a couple of minutes, because we're, we're really running out of time, uh, where is the future of this? You're, you're on the cutting edge, and so you're viewing. What's your next, not 20 years out, not 10 years out, like what's coming down the pike? For us, I think the thing that we think a lot about um, is two things. One is the increasing addressability of media channels, right? So the ability to get more and more, more, and more precise, that feels around the corner. Um, and whether that means addressable TV and that you can send an ad over 
whatever form of, uh, uh, of viewing you're doing. Uh, that's one thing for sure. The other thing for us, which is always that holy grail, especially in, in a lot of industries, this is not the case, but for things like ours, where conversion measurement is hard, meaning can we tell us if someone took the action we wanted? You know, as data becomes stronger and better there, that just makes everything better. Um, so those are the two things that feel, you know, in these sort of, I don't know, 18 to 24 month-ish, or maybe a little longer than that, but, you know, the one to three or one to five year range. So the more narrow targeting then, you, you have the data, right. uh, you have a lot of the data. So the more narrow targeting then would depend on the, uh, the uh, enhancements of the platforms. So Correct. is there something about uh, what Facebook is planning or YouTube or Google that you should be sharing with us? No, 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 I have no special knowledge. <laughs> we just know the day's coming, right? And so uh, our, our goal is to be prepared for that day, right? So that the day that we're ready for is the day where we could find every single person we want to find wherever they are, however we want. Um, and that day isn't here yet, um, but it's coming. And that's the day we're preparing for. So you just, you're just anticipating that right. given the, the evolution of these things, that's going to happen pretty Correct. soon. Yeah, it's a bet. Yeah, I think it's a pretty safe bet, but it's definitely a bet. Okay. And then finally, uh, what advice do you have for business people, not necessarily in the movies, but business people in retailing and marketing and whatever it might be, who, who want to use data and analytics uh, approximating, you know, for, say, CMOs in mm -hmm. their marketing? What, what would you recommend to get in below the surface, but obviously not to the extent that you've taken it? I mean, I think first and foremost, it's uh, adapting this attitude. I think what I've seen, at least in a lot of organizations, is that um, data or analytics or both um, spring up as departments, or right? they sort of become their own unit or something. And it's almost, um, it's almost like a reverse vestigial effect, right? It's, uh, there, there never was a place for them before, so now they have to have a place and they, create, they get created. And I think it's, it's almost the opposite. Even though we, my title even has analytics in, in it, um, really it's about, it's a discipline applied to subject areas, right? I think the first sort of step is to be able to break that thinking that, oh, data is over here in this corner and people need to think about it as its um, own sort of discrete thing. And in fact, it's actually almost the opposite. It's a tool and a tool set that can be applied to something specific. So that, that's just a mindset thing. I think more practically, you know, data collection itself is hard, right? That's why we had to build what we build. And so if people can cap capture data and keep it at a level, like we don't throw any data away. We have in, you know, enormous amounts of data that may not even be any good, but we never know if we could use it or if it's somehow useful for us in the, in the future. So storing it and keeping it is really you know, another thing. And then um, having, though, having said that, this sort of uh, high, higher level thing that like I've mentioned a couple of times that we try to do, which is realize that it's about the analytics of the data, not the data itself, right? And that's where the value comes. Okay, and we have uh, another question from Twitter, and this is from Zachary Jeans, and he actually is asking the question that I meant to ask you about what's coming down the pike. He's asking it in a better way. Uh, so he asks, uh, what is a technical challenge that you are now facing, that you, that you will be facing during this next year that is new? I mean, there's so many. <laughs> so it's hard to almost pick. Um, you know, the, the ever-growing challenge um, for us is um, working through the, um, the the shifts in the technology and data that's available, right? And so part of it's just the nimbleness we need to have to be able to adapt. Um, uh, those are the, those are those are typically the ones that are the forefront for us. Um, the it's not a, so much a technical challenge; it's it's the functional challenge, which is we're always trying to solve the problem around measurement and conversion. Meaning, after all the work we've done, sometimes it's very hard to tell, did we actually get the person we wanted to buy the ticket? 
that's a challenge that we're always confronted with and we're always working toward. Okay. Uh, wow, this has been a very, very fast 45 minutes. Matt, thank you for taking time to come talk with us today. Oh, no, I appreciate the opportunity. It's, it's, it's great. Thank you very much. You have been watching episode number 276 of CXO Talk, and we've been speaking with Matt Moralda, who is the Chief Analytics Officer at Legendary Entertainment. What an action-packed and uh, very fast and interesting show this has been. Everybody, come back next week. We have more shows. And uh, don't forget to like us on Facebook. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye. <music>